Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. A new plan to require more Americans to be vaccinated. This will help create safer workplaces. Federal mandate authority. This is not something that the government should mandate. This is likely unconstitutional. This is not about freedom for personal choice. We are not going to let people be fired. Come on. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Monday. Lots to talk about. We'll get to the uh, mandate, which is making news. Right now, as we speak, about an hour ago, there was a major rally taking place in New York. Teachers, public school teachers, no less, are having a rally against the mandate. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Interesting story out of Boise, Idaho. Now, we don't know the details. This just came out. But Joe Biden is up in Boise. He's visiting western states. They probably hope he'd get lost out there. And uh, anyway, he was out in Boise, Idaho, and he goes off script. They were, it was on the White House news feed streaming channel. So Biden gets out to Boise earlier today, and he starts talking about uh, wildfire prevention, which Democrats are really good at this because they've only managed to burn down two-thirds of California with their wildfire prevention. (laughs) I mean, you go out to California, I mean, half of it's burned now, so I guess you can't really tell. But if, if over the last 10 to 20 years, if you go out to California, everything's totally overgrown. It's sort of like how they used to do it up in Chapel Hill. I mean, you know, for a while there in Chapel Hill, there was an ordinance in the town of Chapel Hill that you could not cut down a tree. You couldn't even cut down branches off a tree because somehow, you know, they're, they're, they're in love with Mother Nature. And heaven forbid we do anything to prune a tree. Somehow that's cruel. Oh, the tree feels pain. They wouldn't let you cut down trees. And we began to get these ice storms up there and you had these huge old oak trees falling into houses. I mean, there was a period of time, probably about less than 10 years ago, that you just had tree after tree falling into houses because they don't know how to manage anything. And they, they pass these goofy laws. Well, in California, they pass goofy laws, which has caused half the state to burn down. And so Biden wants to take that up to Iowa or Idaho. And um, anyway, he's doing this little talk, and all of a sudden he starts talking about how years ago he almost moved to Boise, Idaho. And don't know exactly what happened. Of course, Joe said, oh, it's not a joke. He started recounting the story of an interview he had in Boise years ago, went off script, and the White House feed was just cut. They cut the feed. Now, Uh, Was it a technical problem? I don't think so. I think the technical problem is with Joe's mouth and brain. They cut it because they did not know where Joe would go. I I mean, it's, it's scary. Speaking of scary, scary Democrats, on Friday, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper vetoed two bills, including an anti critical race theory bill. We've talked about that often. That, uh, our lieutenant governor was all for. 
The House Bill 324, entitled Ensuring Dignity and Non-Discrimination Schools, passed both the House and the Senate along party lines, veto-proof vote in the Senate. We don't have that in the House. In an emailed statement, Cooper said, the legislature should be focused on supporting teachers, helping students recover lost learning, and investing in our public schools. Now, that same statement had more merit to be given by Republicans who were for this bill, helping students recover lost learning. We're actually going to teach them the three R's. But no, instead, we're going to teach them race theory. That's, that's the fourth R now, and that takes up more time than the other three R's. He goes on to say, this bill pushes calculated conspiracy-laden politics into public education. Conspiracy-laden. Hmm. Yeah, and they think, that the, you know, the people that are pushing that think, just because they call it a different name, well, we don't call it critical race theory, therefore you can't say we're teaching critical race theory. Senate Leader, leader Phil, Phil Berger said in a statement on Friday about HB 324, it's perplexing that Governor Cooper would veto a bill that affirms the public school system's role to teach students the full truth about our state's sometimes ugly past. He invented excuse, uh, his invented excuse is so plainly refuted by the text of the bill that I question whether he even read it. More broadly, Democrats' choice to oppose a bill saying schools can't force kids to believe one race is superior over another really shows how far off the rails the mainstream Democratic Party has gone. Well said. Phil Berger. Cooper also vetoed, this is even more unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable that he would veto that. But Cooper also vetoed House Bill 805, known as Prevent Rioting and Civil Disorder, which would have created stricter penalties for people who riot. Tim Moore filed the bill after the riots and the protests last summer, after they burned down parts of Charlotte. I mean, right here in Greenville, they threw a few bricks through the window after they bust in people. Two Democrats voted with Republicans when it passed the House. Uh, in the Senate, no Democrats voted for it. People who commit crimes during riots and other times should be prosecuted, and our laws provide for that, but this legislation is unnecessary and is intended to intimidate and deter people from exercising their constitutional rights to peacefully protest. Look, there's nothing in this bill that prevents you from peacefully protesting. That's the whole point of the bill. We welcome you to peacefully protest. We just don't want you to burn down the town, all right? On Friday, Moore called the veto of the rioting bill a slap in the face to small businesses, owners, and residents of cities and towns across the state that were damaged by lawless riots. And, you know, again, it happened here in Greenville. It happened in many other parts. These rioters are bust in. In some cases, they're not even from a a part of North Carolina. They're from out of state. They're bust in. The bricks are bust in and put on pallets in certain places, certain street corners, so they can pick up the bricks and throw them through windows. Peaceful, that's peaceful protesting in the Democrats' eyes. Carolina Journal is reporting felons who registered to vote in North, Carolina's, uh, in North Carolina during an 11-day window uh, between recent court rulings will be allowed to vote in upcoming elections. The state Supreme Court ruled on Friday in favor of those quick-acting prospective voters, 
Now, I don't know how many there were. There was only an 11-day window for felons to register to vote. Felons who did not register between August 23rd and September 3rd will have to wait for the resolution of a court case focusing on their voting rights. A three-judge Superior Court panel ruled on August the 23rd that all felons who have completed their active prison time should have their voting rights restored. Eleven days later, the North Carolina Court of Appeals issued a stay blocking that ruling. Now the state's highest court has determined that the stay will be implemented prospectively only, meaning that any person who registered to vote at the time when it was legal for that person to register under the then-valid court orders, as they were interpreted at the time, shall remain legally registered voters according to the court's one-page order. The North Carolina Board of Elections shall not remove from the voter registration database any person legally registered under the expanded preliminary injunction between the 23rd of August and September 3rd. Now, here's the problem. Uh, This goes against our state constitution. Andy Jackson, director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity, said critics have said that the ruling amounts to judges rewriting state law. Felon disenfranchisement is not by law. It's by the North Carolina Constitution, which is is the law. It'll be interesting to see how judges will try to square the circle, Jackson said. It seems like they're actually going to be trying to rewrite the law themselves, which is something judges are not supposed to do. (laughs) They're not supposed to do it, but they've been doing it for a long, long time. The case has prompted state lawmakers to criticize State Attorney General Josh Stein when Stein refused to appeal the August 23rd ruling, citing a technicality. Legislative leaders fired him and hired private lawyers. The private lawyers secured the stay from the Court of Appeals, which goes to show you, I mean, Josh Stein needs to be removed from office for malfeasance. I mean, private lawyers immediately get the Court of Appeals to agree with them and issue a stay. Josh Stein's job is not to decide whether he likes a certain ruling. His job is not to go to the governor and ask him. His job is to enforce the law of the land. And the Constitution is our ultimate law of the land. And he's, no, I'm not going to do it. Again, this is another example of anarchy. When we've got a system of laws and we have individuals just deciding what they want to do when they feel like doing it, and they're just going to, they are a law unto themselves. Uh, and again, this is, you know, my, my, my big pet peeve is why do we, why, why does anybody in authority listen to these non, uh, non-politicians, non-lawmakers? I mean, you know, we're, we are a system of laws, checks, and balances, you know, you, you create a law, it goes through the legislature. It's signed by the governor. It's put, but no, no, we, we have these people that want to bypass everything about lawmaking. They think they've got, and, and look, it went into hyper mode. Now, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the courts offer opinions. But, you know, going back to Roe v. Wade, that was supposed to be an opinion. But no, it was the law of the Peds and the, the, the Medes and the Persians. And then you get Obama in there to put it on steroids. You know, I've got a pen and a phone. I'll just do what I darn well please. Trying to keep it PG here. Uh, And that's the whole pet peeve with the COVID deal. You now have the president 
who's a part of the executive branch, basically dictating this order on mandates. The, the president doesn't have that power. He doesn't, especially over, and he might make an argument that he's got this power over federal employees. But he's, he does not have this power over if you're a private business with 100 uh, employees or more, that they either have to be vaccinated or they have to be tested weekly. He does not have that power. Fox News is reporting Democrats today have defended President Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan during a House Foreign Affairs Committee. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was uh, grilled over the administration's handling of the exit. You know, Anthony Blinken was Joe Biden's advisor when he the whole time he was in the Senate on foreign affairs. I mean, not the whole time, but for, because uh, I mean, Anthony Blinken's hardly 40 years old probably, but uh, for, for, for a long period of time, he was the guy that was giving um, President Biden's the advice on foreign affairs when Biden was a secretary, when was a uh, senator, and what's interesting is, you know, who was the uh, the general? His name slips my mind right now, but the uh, the Republican uh, general, who uh, Gates, <laughs> was the guy that said uh, Biden's had it wrong his entire career, and this is the guy that was advising Biden for a good portion of that career. Gregory Meeks, a Democrat from New York. The committee cheers, uh, chair said ending the war in Afghanistan was never going to be easy and repeatedly slammed critics over his execution of the withdrawal last month. Disentangling ourselves from the war in Afghanistan was never going to be easy, he said. And for my friends who presume a clean solution for withdrawal existed, I would welcome hearing what exactly a smooth withdrawal from a messy, chaotic 20-year war looks like. In fact, I've yet to hear a clean withdrawal option because I don't believe one exists. What do you mean? Look, it it might not have been easy, but yours was was horrific. Uh, Here's an idea. Uh, I I mean, how about we had kept the Bagram Air Force Base, which now looks like it's going to be taken over by China. How about if we had just kept, and again, this is where I would have disagreed with, with Donald Trump. We have Air Force bases. We have bases all over the world. Why wouldn't you keep that one? Put several thousand troops there and keep that base. I mean, it was it was beautiful. It was a few hundred miles away from China, right there in the in the midst of the Middle East. But I mean, or the other thing is, and then they turned around and typical of Democrats, just like Obama always blamed Bush. They're now looking at well, well, Trump. Trump wouldn't believe this is all his fault. This is the Trump plan. We ha- we are forced to withdraw. No, you weren't. You haven't done anything else that Donald Trump said you should do. Why should this make any difference? Anyway, the Republicans uh, are just now getting underway with their uh, questioning of Blinken. We'll see where that goes. Probably more more on that to come on uh, News and Views uh, Tuesday episode. We got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about. We'll get into these uh, COVID max uh, mandates and uh, how goofy they are. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. It is September 13th, National Peanut Day. That ought to be a big celebration for Eastern Carolina. I mean, peanuts. 
That's uh, our pride and joy here in Eastern Carolina, right? Uh, take a look at your weather forecast today. Uh, well, it was nice, a little hot, a little hot for uh, September, but uh, 92. Tonight, clear low on 67. Uh, tomorrow, high of 92, lots of sunshine. And uh, showers come in on Wednesday after uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll have some uh, passing thunderstorms, a high of 89. So uh, very summer-like weather this week. So the New York Post editorial board ran an op-ed today, and uh, they rightly have uh, a gripe. The democratically controlled Federal Elections Commission came out and decided that Twitter violated no election laws when it censored the New York Post reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop ahead of the 2020 election. Now, remember what all was on that laptop. Interestingly, the news was leaked from, and it shows you how liberal this is, leaked from the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, to the New York Times. So it could be treated with maximum scorn. I mean, no doubt when I say leaked, it was some Democrat member of the FEC. The Times report sneeringly begins that the Post article was unsubstantiated, which is bull. The Biden team never denied that the laptop is real. Hunter Biden later told CBS, oh, well, it could be mine. Could be. (laughs) There's pictures of you in compromising positions and uh, situations uh, on the laptop, but it could be yours. People involved in the emails the New York Post published, including... Joe Bobolinsky have confirmed the content. The only reason the article is unsubstantiated is because the Times and other liberal outlets don't want to actually report it on it. I mean, that's the truth. How do, how do liberal media outlets substantiate certain articles? They have one liberal organization reports on it, and then an, another liberal organization says, oh, well, the Times reported on it, so the Post can get reported on it, then CNN can then report on it. So then, hey, it's substantiated. If the Times report on the FEC's decision is accurate, the agency decided that the Twitter decision was commercial, not political. The move followed existing policies related to hacked materials. But Hunter Biden's laptop wasn't hacked. It was forgotten at a Delaware computer repair shop, a fact confirmed by the shop's owner to multiple reporters. The Times says by people who wanted Biden to lose the election. That's who reported, says the Times. Now, here's <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the editorial makes a great point. Oh, you mean like uh, the people who reported on Trump's tax returns? Those, those kind of people? Is that what you mean? The people who uh, talked about the telephone transcripts of his call to the Ukraine president? Is that what you mean? D- does anybody think for a moment that Twitter would have censored a report about a laptop owned by Trump? or Trump Jr. The Times can't even get the timeline right, so says the op-ed. It writes, Twitter actually reversed course within a day of its decision to block distribution of Hunter Biden's article and its chief executive, Jack Dorsey, a.k.a. Rasmussen. Uh, It called the initial move a mistake. While it's true Dorsey did call it, while it's true Dorsey did call it a mistake, Twitter still banned the post, blackmailing the post by saying they wouldn't unlock their account 
unless they deleted the Hunter Biden post. So they they, they back off and they said, oh, we shouldn't have deleted it, but we're not going to let you out until you delete it. The post refused. The story was true. Twitter finally backed down. But it was two weeks later, basically, that they, I mean, the story originally came out mid-October. By the time they released their account, unlocked their account, it was basically election day. The liberal media ignores and lies about the Hunter Biden laptop. Then they're lying about it again. And uh, now Twitter and the FEC are parroting those lies. It wasn't hacked. It's real. It's not a cover. Uh, It's just, it's totally infuriating. Uh, And, you know, the FEC is supposed to be a nonpartisan watchdog. And now the foxes are in charge of it. There is a lot of interesting news out on uh, COVID today. Uh, The most bizarre thing over the weekend, did you see the Kamala Harris tweet on Sunday? Her tweet urging Americans to help protect already vaccinated people in order to end the COVID-19 pandemic. Listen to this, because it doesn't make any sense at all. This is our vice president. Quote, by vaccinated, by vaccinating, I should say, by vaccinating the unvaccinated, increasing our testing and masking and protecting the vaccinated, we can end this pandemic. That's exactly what we're committed to doing. Okay, again, listen, by vaccinating the unvaccinated, we'll protect the vaccinated. <laughs> That's essentially what she's saying. Uh, yeah. This is the uh, Biden rhetoric on the vaccination. I mean, stop and think. So we're protecting the vaccinated if the unvaccinated get vaccinated. Wait a minute. I thought if you were vaccinated, you were protected, right? That's what they've been telling us. That's what Joe says every time he opens his mouth. He tells us, get the vaccination and you won't get the COVID, which is a lie, by the way. We've talked about that before. You you will get it. Your symptoms will be minimal. You probably won't have to go to the hospital. And, you know, look, this is your decision. But the idea, <laughs> come up with these stupid statements. We've got to protect the vaccinated. The vaccinated are protected. By the way, I, I said this last week. Got to say it again. It's been a week now. I don't, I don't know what the incubation period is for people that get COVID. I'm not a doctor. But where are all the breakout cases? Where are all the breakout cases from these football games? I mean, you have, I mean, t- in total, there's got hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, you got, you probably had 70,000 people up at Neyland Stadium in, in Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee, over the weekend. You had at least 40,000 here in Greenville. I mean, the Alabama game, these stadiums are packed. I mean, collectively, all these college, there's probably a million people attending college football games. I, I don't see any of them in masks. So where, where are all these breakout cases? I, I mean, I maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe there'll be some. I, I hope not. I hope, but I don't think there will be. By the way, um, speaking of football, have, have you listened? 
are heard. You've got to hear it because it's all over the place. The new um, American cheer. In fact, I talked about Joe Biden going up to uh, Boise. There were, it's really interesting. (laughs) It's not just a couple dozen. I mean, there are hundreds of people showing up now to Biden events that are Republicans. And um, they all, they were there. I, and I'm not, I'm not promoting it. I, I don't necessarily think uh, being crude is the right way to go. But it is getting everybody's attention, and it's showing that Americans are sick and tired of Joe Biden's administration. I always will say administration because Joe's just a puppet. Joe's a Manchurian candidate. Joe doesn't know what's going on. I mean, somebody else is pulling the strings. But the Biden administration, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people that showed up in Boise that held out a banner that said F Biden. And that was the cheer. And if you go, um, look, there's all you got to do is um, type in college football games, Biden cheer, and you'll see not just one or two examples. You'll see. 10, 12, 15, 18 examples of stadiums that start breaking out cheering. Well, is cheering the right word? I don't think so. Jeering is the right word. Joe Biden. F. Biden. By the way, the Brits. Now, this is really interesting. The Brits had a passport requirement. And the Sunday Times is reporting, which is a British publication, that Boris Johnson is giving up the idea of vaccine passports. That's not working. There is another story out of, um, is it Denmark, I think it is? Yeah. Alex Bernson. You may have read it last week that Denmark is opening up and ending all COVID restrictions due to the success of its vaccination problem. Problem. The only correct response to this is lots of laughs. England, Scotland, and Israel are among the most vaccinated countries in the world, and they have seen huge spikes in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths since July. What's really going on? The continental European countries got started late on their mass vaccination programs. They tried to cheap out Pfizer and Moderna, which weren't having it. Eventually, the countries gave in. But as a result, their vaccination campaigns were months behind the United States in the spring and even further behind in Britain. As of June 1st, only 22 in 100 people in Denmark were fully vaccinated. And of now, it's about 74 in 100. Thus, these countries are now in what is called Happy Vaccine Valley, the three to four month period following the second dose when antibodies are high enough that the vaccines actually appear to work. For those of you keeping score at home, he writes, that's two weeks of negative uh, testing after the first shot, a month of maybe 50% effectiveness, three months of near complete protection, and then a rapid fall to what looks like zero protection within three months. That's your science. I assume that the Danes are smart enough to know exactly where they stand. They also know that since they have a healthy population, COVID-19 is at most a trivial problem for them on a societal basis. How trivial? Denmark has about 6 million people. As of September 9th, about 2,600 of them 
had died of COVID since March of 2020. How many of those people were under 50? 26. 26. That's one per month. Five were under 30. Five out of 2.1 million Danes. The Danes, whether they admit it or not, probably not, have rightly decided that enough is enough and they can't twist themselves into knots forever for an illness that produces numbers like these. So, and and now they're talking about wanting to, in the United States, wanting to begin to vaccinate kids as young as 11. I think actually, I think they're actually talking about kids ages 5 to 11. And over in Denmark, Five deaths under 30. Five out of 2.1 million Danes who are vaccinated. The, um, th- this, is, this, this ought to grab everybody's attention. COVID-19 vaccine boosters for most are unnecessary, so says the FDA advisors. Available evidence doesn't yet indicate a need for COVID-19 vaccine booster shots among the general population. This from an international group of scientists, including two senior FDA officials reportedly stepping down from their post over a disagreement with the White House over the administration of booster shots. Marion Gruber, director of FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review, and her deputy, Phil Cross, Set to leave in October and November, published a viewpoint in The Lancet on Monday, along with other experts worldwide, arguing that COVID-19 vaccines remain effective in preventing severe disease. And, And what they mean by that is severe symptoms. I mean, you will get the disease, but the severity of it won't be as strong, including against the highly transmittable and dominant Delta variant. By the way, I've talked to doctors that have actually admitted If they see a case of COVID, they really don't know whether it's the Delta variant or just the original COVID. The comments came after Dr. Janet Woodcock, acting commissioner of the FDA, and Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, recently advised the White House that regulators need more time to review necessary data before approving a COVID-19 booster shot plan. The guidance from the FDA and the CDC is both agencies have so far only accumulated enough data to suggest that some individuals who receive the Pfizer vaccine should get the booster shot. Now, remember, these are the same people, Biden and Kamala Harris, who told you not to get the the original COVID shot before they were elected, that they, they wouldn't get a Trump shot, right? Last month, the nation's top health officials said the U.S. was prepared to begin offering COVID-19 vaccine booster shots to Americans beginning September 20th, pending FDA review. And by the way, I mean, where does Biden get off, which he has done, talking about how he wants to push this through? He's all about the science and the data. Dr. Biden, we're talking about Joe here, not Jill. Neither one of them are medical doctors. They want to push it through. The um, we got, we got to take a time out. When we come back, though, there's something going on right now as we speak up in New York City. And uh, what's really interesting are the people that are standing up against this mandate. And uh, you've got both sides of the aisle. We'll talk about that when we get back. 
back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. People Magazine is reporting, and a number of other outlets have reported on this as well, a New York hospital is being forced to pause delivering babies after experiencing mass staff resignations due to COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Uh, it's not due to COVID-19. It's due to the COVID-19 vaccine mandates. People are saying, no, I'm not going to do it. On Friday, Lewis County Health System CEO Jerry Clare announced during a press conference the hospital has faced a number of staff resignations because of the state's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, losing 30 employees. He said the facility's maternity unit alone has seen six staff members resign, with seven other staff members refusing to get the vaccine, leading to the halt in maternity services. Lewis County Health System did not immediately respond for further information. Uh, last month, Cuomo announced that all healthcare workers in the state were required to be vaccinated against the COVID-19 uh, vaccine by September the 27th. You know, I heard uh, another story today that these, there are a number of places that think they're going to have to be mandated, um, that, that the employees, the mandate is going to force them to get vaccination. And a number of these places, the employees are saying, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to do it. And as a result, there's a high number of people that are taking their vacation now. They're, ta- they're using up their unaccrued or, or the vacation they've accrued but not used. They're using that now because when the time comes that they have to either be vaccinated or leave, they're leaving. And, and by the way, I, I know a higher up on the medical side rather than the administrative side of uh, healthcare here in Eastern Carolina, they have said they will resign before taking the shot. And one of these individuals is friend of mine is researches things thoroughly. And uh, they've said no to the vaccine. They're not going to do it. They'll find something else. They'll tighten their belt. They'll do what they have to do, but they're not going to do it. The big question is what we don't know. That's the thing. There's there are things of this vaccination that we don't know. I mean, there's a story in the news today that teenage boys are six times more likely to die of a heart issue after being vaccinated than they are likely of dying of COVID. That alone tells you all you need to know. There's a situation as we speak going on up in the state of New York City, New York City. There's an organization called Teachers for Choice. Now, this doesn't represent the traditional liberal teachers unions, which are, of course, in the pocket of uh, liberals and Joe Biden. But back on August 25th, there was a rally and literally thousands of people showed up. Teachers, students, citizens, union workers, and and when I say union, teachers' unions, the higher-ups in the teachers' unions, uh, you know, they're in Joe's pocket. The actual rank and file, who are in some cases forced to join the unions, 
have uh, they're they're at these rallies. There's another rally going on this afternoon. Today, September 13th, is the day that Mayor de Blasio had his, quote, key to the city plan, barring unvaccinated people from businesses and public places. Unvaccinated teachers and parents are banned from New York City schools. Teachers for Choice announced authoritarian segregation is now the official policy of the New York City and New York City schools, and uh, their actions are... One, they're going to have people come to these rallies, peaceful uprising. Just one, another one just got underway just about uh, an hour ago. They're calling for walkouts, walkout week, which started today. Don't have any information on how many teachers walked out. Uh, they're promoting leaving the unions, the UFT and the AFT, and they're planning on lawsuits. Last Friday, New York City announced that unvaccinated parents can't enter any public school building in the city as of today. Uh, Stop and think about this. So your kids are in the hands of a public school, your kids, and you're not allowed as their guardian to go in and be with them. I get my kid out of that school right away. Uh, I mean, this this is beyond the pale. So mom and dad, your kids in the school, but something happens, you're not allowed to go in there. So in other words, they're under the oversight of the school system and and you're not allowed to have a say so. Which we've known that all along, but now as it relates to you you can't even come into the building. Uh here is one teacher by the name of Rachel Maniscalco. Uh she was at uh, the rally and here's what she had to say. I am prepared to end this now, and I am officially announcing my exit from the UFT. So your question was, am I prepared to lose it all? And the answer is yes. Because I do not believe that this is just about a vaccine. I do not believe that this is just about our health. This is about medical freedom. This is about totalitarianism. We are, we are headed into a very dangerous area. And if we comply with this, we are setting a terrible precedent for our future. Bingo. You know, the Biden administration, and again, Joe's just a blithering in the corner over there. But the Biden administration is playing the part of the bully. And, you know, the way you stop a bully is you stand up to him. And if they don't back down, then you punch them in the nose. And no, I'm not proposing violence here. <laughs> but that's how you deal with a bully. Come on. Yeah, Joe. I know you don't know what's going on, but your administration has used you and you are the useful individual. I don't think you're in there. I don't think you won legally, but you're in there. You're being used. And apparently you're fine with that. Just keep feeding me ice cream and Joe's happy, but he's playing the part of a bully. Hey, we got to take another time out. Stay with us. More to come. News and views for a Monday. We'll be right back. Shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. Well, the drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So over the weekend, 
this is not any huge news, but uh, one of the cities that has the uh, strictest gun laws, Chicago. I, we ought, we ought to do you know like a football poll. How many people will be shot in Chicago? This past weekend, 60 people wounded in 40 shootings. Seven died. Shooting victims range from ages 12 to 58. 11 people under the age of 18. The wounded juveniles ranged in age from 12 to 17. One of the 17-year-olds suffered a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his hand on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, shouldn't be playing with guns, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, anyway, here's here's the ins- the most interesting part of the story: child COVID deaths in Chicago versus Chicago shootings. This tells it all. Child COVID deaths in Chicago: two hundred and fourteen. Children shot. Child deaths in Chicago from shooting. I'm sorry, not death, just child being shot. Okay, let me let me clarify that. 214 died of COVID-19. 261 have been shot. How many have died? I don't know. But 261 have been shot. But listen to this. This, this is beyond the pale. There's a situation where 37-year-old Fallon Harris, a mother, was arrested and charged with fatally shooting her 12-year-old son, Saturday morning, according to the Chicago Police Department. According to prosecutors, Harris shot the boy inside their South Chicago home just before 10.30 a.m. over a missing memory card. According to video footage from inside the home, Harris asked the boy about the missing card, at which time he said he did not know where it was. Prosecutors reportedly said she then allegedly shot him according to the prosecutors and police, and reportedly left him conscious and crying. She shot a 12-year-old boy. Then she allegedly went back and asked him for the card a second time. He said he didn't know where it was. She shot him again. Prosecutors reportedly describe in horrifying detail how videos showed the boy collapsing to the kitchen floor. A witness called police after discovering the boy unresponsive He was shot at least once in the head and could not be saved. The mother was charged with first-degree murder. Okay, where is the outrage on this? Where are the protests on this? Where is Al Sharpton on this? Where is the race attorney ambulance chaser Ben Crump on this? Doesn't fit your narrative, does it? Doesn't quite fit your narrative. Where's the outrage? Where's the story even being reported? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So tomorrow is the uh, big election between um, Gavin Newsom and uh, hopefully Larry Elder will prevail. What's interesting about this, a side note, I think Larry Elder could win if it's a fair election. Uh, What's interesting is Ashley Babbitt, the woman who was shot and killed on January 6th up in the Capitol, her family has said she has received three ballots in the mail to vote in the upcoming election, which takes place tomorrow. Unbelievable. Hey, listen, have a great night. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. I'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.